So, um, you ever heard of Jack LaLanne? Do you know who that is? Uh, earlier this month, I wrote about him. Uh, and if you haven't heard of him, I want to encourage you to uh, do a search of Google him. Not right now, please. But uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about him. So today, workout places are everywhere. But he opened uh, one of the first fitness places, fitness gyms in 1936. Think about that. So the machines that are in uh, were, uh, fitness uh, gyms, he created, he invented dozens of them. And those home workout videos and kind of the weight loss stuff and all of those things, he's the first, he's the first guy to bring that into your living room. I was talking to someone uh, earlier who said their mom used to get up uh, at 5.30 in the morning to exercise with him on television. Not, she wasn't on television, but he was on television. She was in the living room exercising uh, with him. It was the longest running television exercise program of all times. It was on for 34 years. And I remember watching him as a little kid uh, doing that stuff. Now, I want you to hear some of his personal achievements because I want you to see, see this guy. Here's his achievements. He swam from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf uh, in San Francisco, which is just nine tenths of a mile, but he was wearing handcuffs when he did that. Um, when he was 42 years old, he set the world record for push-ups by doing over a thousand in 23 minutes. Um, when he was 45, he did a thousand jumping jacks and a thousand pull-ups in an hour and 22 minutes. Think about that. When he was 60 years old, he swam from Alcatraz to Fisherman's Wharf second time. Uh, this time, he, he not only wore handcuffs, but he towed a thousand-pound boat behind him. When he swam, it's only nine tenths of a mile, but uh, a thousand pound boat. To celebrate his 70th birthday, he swam down the coast of California, a mile and a half, towing 70 boats with 70 people in them. 70 years old, mile and a half, towing 70 boats, each one with one person in them. Now, uh, this guy, seriously, nothing. <laughs> 70 years old doing that. Come on. Listen, he, so uh, I, I'm telling you all that because there's a lesson I want you to learn from Jack LaLanne. But it's not his achievements. Those things I just told you about, I want to point you to the thing I want you to learn. It's not his achievements. I want you to learn from his daily habits. Look at what he did every day. Every day, Jack LaLanne would work out with weights and strength training for 90 minutes. On top of that, he would swim or run for 30 minutes. He would eat 10 raw vegetables. He would eat two meals a day, a late breakfast and an early supper. And he would wake up every morning at 4 a.m. Uh, to begin his workouts. He would say later on that uh, as he got older, he would allow himself to sleep in until 5 a.m. But I don't know if you can imagine, right? I don't know if you can imagine doing this not just for a day, not just one day, not just every day for one week or every day for one year. Can you imagine doing that every day for 60 years. That's what Jack LaLanne did. Even when he was 94 years old, think about that, 94 years old, still exercising for two hours every day, 90 minutes of strength training, 30 minutes of swimming or walking, 10 raw vegetables every single day for 60 years. What does that get you when you do that for 60 years every day? You know what it gets you? When you're 70 years old, you can swim a mile and a half towing 70 boats with people in them. 
That's what it can get you. Physically speaking, look what Craig Groeschel said. It's on the top of your notes. Craig Groeschel said this, it's the things no one sees that results in the things everyone wants. That's what we've been talking about this month. So when we talk about our faith, so not physically, but in our faith, what, how does that happen? How do we, uh, what do we need to put in place in our lives to allow ourselves to grow spiritually, to be rooted? And it's all the, everything we've been talking about has been coming out of Psalm chapter one. So if you've ever read the book of Psalms, the very first chapter, and we've been, we've been beginning in, cha- in verses two and three, talking about this person whose faith is strong, but whose delight, so this person's delight is in the law of the Lord, and on that law they meditate both day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither whatever they do prospers how do we spiritually speaking as followers of Jesus how do we grow stronger in our faith what is the root system that that we need to put into place what are the habits that need to be in place in our lives that allow us that cause us to do things that other people as we do this every day we grow so strong that other people go how do they do that because here's what I want to make sure you get You can't become the person God wants you to be, has designed you to be on accident. You don't back into it. You don't accidentally fall and fall into this thing. You, I cannot become who God designed me to be on accident. There are things I must put into play in my life. So here's some of the things that we've talked about this month, right? My faith grows stronger when, when my roots grow strong because I've spent time with God, because time with God grows my relationship with him. That it's the same as any other relationship in your life. You want to grow that relationship? You spend time with that person. You want to grow your relationship with God? You spend time with him. Time with others. Because my, my faith can be, uh, can be affected positively. Other people's relationship in my life can help grow the faith inside of me. Last week I talked about sharing your story because what Jesus has done inside of your life can inspire hope in someone else's life. They may be not far from where you are or walking a very similar path. So here's today. You ready? This one may, I don't know if this will surprise you or not, but my faith grows strong when I am rooted in my relationship with Jesus by using my gifts. When I use what God has given to me to be used, as a matter of fact, here's what I want to make sure you get to. God has given you a gift to be used to serve others. I tell you that because the Bible says that. Peter said, God has given each of you a gift. (laughs) Use it to help each other. That's what shows God's longing, loving favor. When Paul talks about it, he says, so Christ gave himself the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to do this, to equip his people. This is why all of these leaders in the church are here, to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. I just want to highlight this for a moment. Can we go back for just a moment? He equips his people for service so that we can be built up, we reach maturity, I reach unity and we become mature, but it's because of these works of service. That's what points us in that direction. If you're wondering if that's missing from your life. So part of our growing up in our faith is about being involved in serving other people. If I may be this blunt, it's why you were created. Just let that sink in. (laughs) It's why you're here. God wants to do something through you. Our personal involvement in serving 
in ministry is more than just for us to mature. So I want to, we're going to pull back a little bit too. It's not just about your maturity. That happens. Something bigger happens. Something way, way more than you can even imagine happens. And we're going to look at it uh, in, a, in part of Jesus' ministry. So if you have your Bible, Luke chapter 10 is where we're going to be. Uh, it's on the U version. If you've got that app, we, you'll find us there under the events tab. Uh, but let's check this out together. Luke chapter 10, we'll also have these verses uh, right up here. So after this, and we'll find out what that is in a little bit. After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. By the way, I'm just, I'm going to be curious how many of you have heard this story before. This is not one of those better known stories in the gospels. And Jesus told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. Go, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. So when you go, don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road. As a matter of fact, when you enter a house, first say peace to this house. And if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. But if, but if not, it will return to you. Stay there eating and drinking whatever they give you for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter into a town and you're welcomed, eat what's offered to you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near to you. But when you enter into a town and are not welcomed, you go into the streets and say, even the dust of your town, we wipe from our feet and we want that to be a warning to you. Be sure of this. The kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than it will be on that town. Woe, woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it will be more bearable for them at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the heavens? Mm -mm. You will go down to Hades. Whoever listens to you, listens to me. Whoever rejects you, rejects me. I'm telling you, whoever rejects me, rejects the one who has sent me. The 72 came back with joy and said, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name. And Jesus said, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. As a matter of fact, nothing can harm you. But don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. Rather, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I don't know how familiar you are with that. That's some pretty heavy stuff in there. There's a lot in those verses. Check back at verse 1. So after this, the Lord appointed 72 what? Others. I don't know if that word, if, that, if you caught that word when we were reading through that the first time. Why did Luke use that word? What is he, what's he trying to tell us. Who's he talking about when he says 72 others? So I just want to clarify that real quick. First of all, the 72 others is not Jesus. Okay. So, and I tell you that because I don't know about you, but when I think about the gospels and who's doing what in the gospels, I mean, who do you think of first? I mean, the followers followed, the crowds listened, the sick were healed, right? But who was it that led? Who was it that spoke? Who was it that healed people? 
was Jesus doing those things, right? And I don't know about you, but because the Gospels are about Jesus and because they focus primarily on his work, sometimes I forget that in the Gospels, other people are doing things on behalf of God as well. And so Luke tells us 72 other people did. But I want you to know, it's not only not Jesus, it's also not the twelve. When, G- when Luke says 72 others, right, he wants us to make sure, because again, when I think about the gospel and I think about if there's somebody other than Jesus doing this, who is it? The obvious answer is the 12. I mean, they're with him all the time, but they're not who Luke is referring to. As a matter of fact, I think he uses the word others so we don't confuse Jesus sending out the 12, which he does in the chapter prior. So in chapter 9, Jesus sends out the 12. So in chapter 10, he sends out 72 others, it means that the 12 aren't even part of those 72. So it's not like 60 plus the 12, it's 72 other people. These are 72 people who are not Jesus and they are not the 12. Do you know who they were? They were us. They were people just like you and me. And what we need to understand is not that God changes the world through people. We need to understand something way bigger than that. You ready? This is on your notes. By God's design, the way he set it up, he created it to happen this way. His kingdom is unleashed on the world when his children say yes to ministry. When you and I say yes, not just him, not just the 12. When all of us say yes to ministry, the idea of being involved in serving other people, Jesus's kingdom is unleashed on the world. All the way back in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy uh, chapter 13, it says this, it is the Lord your God that you must follow and him you must revere. And then they tell us, if you want to know how to follow Jesus or how to follow God, if you want to know how you revere God, if you're revering God, look what it says, keep his commands and obey him. And what? Serve him. You want to know if you're following and revering God? The question is, are you serving uh, him? Um, As a matter of fact, that's part of the reason we have these. Uh, Yours may look different than this, but we're told when Paul writes to Timothy, he says, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for what? Every good work. We are equipped every time we come together like this and open this and talk about this and what this is saying, what God is saying to us through his word, you are being equipped to serve other people. Every time you open the word uh, during the week, and I hope that you have a quiet time. There are many of us who have just a time set aside every day to listen to God through what he says through the Bible, whether that's the U version or if you're holding a, a, a physical Bible in your hand. Uh, but we listen to God, what he says to us through his word, we are being equipped to serve others. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. Uh, when you walk in here on a Sunday morning, how many people it actually takes to make this happen each week. So everything that's going on in our building, um, I walk through the building, uh, I'm imagining everyone who was involved. So then I asked our staff, 140 people. It takes 140 people for Sunday mornings for when we're fully functioning from those who prepared the facility to those who opened it up for us to get here to those who get, uh, get our handouts ready to handing them out to the children who are being loved and taught and the people who are greeted at the door with a smile. Those who are helping new families find uh, the appropriate classrooms. And I don't know if you know this or not. Studies show that people who are coming for the first time, so if you're here for the first time this morning, uh, that a person makes up their mind, they'll decide within the first 10 minutes whether they'll be back or not. First 10 minutes. 
It's our greeters at the door. It's if you see them coming across the parking lot and you say something to them, hey, glad you're here today, or something like that, before we ever sing a song or pray a prayer, I haven't had a chance to say one word before they decide if they like us or not, <laughs> which probably works to our favor, you know, <laughs> honestly. But, so, uh, but to realize that, look at verse 2. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest to send out workers into his harvest field. On your notes, I want to make sure you get this as well. It's by God's design. He set it up to be this way. His kingdom is shackled when we say no. You have the ability to say yes. You have the ability to say no. Something happens when you do that. Someone said this. I think it's on your notes. God can't drive a parked car, right? The great news of this passage is that 72 people are willing to go. And I don't know if you ever do this or not, but I wonder to myself, who said no? Who, who, who maybe would have made it 73 or 75 or 80 or 100? So let me ask you this. Put yourself in this story. If you'd been part of, the, if you'd been part of Jesus' followers that day, would you have been part of the 72 who had said yes to him? Or would you have said, you know what? He has those other 12 guys, right? I mean, why, why does he need me? He's got them to do his stuff. And if you're wondering, if you're wondering how, how you would have answered that, let me, here's how, here's how you tell. How do you answer him today? Do I know how you were to have answered him then? The, the answer is, how do you answer him today? Listen, there are a lot of people in the Bible who could have used reasons not to be involved that were legitimate, by the way, legitimate reasons. Moses stuttered. I don't know if you know that or not. He had speech impediment. He stuttered. David's armor didn't fit. Solomon was too rich. Jesus was too poor. Abraham was too old. Timothy was too young. Peter was afraid of death. Lazarus was dead. Um, John the Baptist was just strange. Uh, I mean, there's all kinds of reasons why we say no. Legitimate reasons, right? They, they're very legit. I'm not saying they're made up reasons. Those are legitimate. And people said yes anyway. But Jesus tells us exactly why some people might say no. Verse 3, he says, I'm sending you out like lambs among wolves. I don't know what image that, you know, conjures up in your mind. But here's what we need to make sure we know. Ministry can be dangerous. You get involved in this kingdom stuff, there's some danger. Verses 8 to 13 remind us that not everyone is going to open up their hearts to Jesus. Some are going to reject him. As a matter of fact, before Jesus is crucified, he tells his followers, I want you to remember what I told you. Servants aren't greater than their masters. So if they persecuted me... You need to know they'll persecute you as well. And if they obeyed my teaching, they will obey yours. So here's the upside, but here's the downside of this also. And many of Jesus' followers found that to be true. When you read through the book of Acts, the apostles are continually being thrown into prison for talking about Jesus, just talking about him. Uh, the early church was persecuted. Many of the apostles were martyred for their faith. They lost their life for their faith. Ministry is dangerous. It was, it still can be. Now, in our country, most of us will not be called to lose our life for our faith. Make no mistake, in other parts of the world, there are those who do. In our country, that's rare. But we do risk losing friends. We do lose 
risk, uh, we do risk uh, relatives turning their back on us or our reputation or our popularity, especially, I think, you know, especially in school, if we hold on to godly values, we risk losing popularity at school because of that. We could lose business. We could lose money. Listen, some people weren't, some people aren't today willing to take those risks. They're willing to go to church. They're willing to watch Jesus, but following him and serving him, they just say no. Here's another reason. Uh, people also say no to ministry because ministry is urgent business. When Jesus talks about this, he's talking about it in verse four. Don't take a purse or a bag or sandals and don't greet anyone on the road, which it sounds like Jesus is being inhospitable. That's not what he's doing. He's not saying don't be friendly. What he's saying is time is of the essence here. And if you have your Bibles open, right? Luke chapter nine, look at verses 51 and 52. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. Why is he going to Jerusalem? What's about to happen? And you may, not, you may not know off the top of your head, but he's going to Jerusalem because he's about to be crucified. And he knows this. And so in verse one, it, it, w the context of this whole passage is he's heading to Jerusalem. So he sends the 72 out ahead of him to prepare the people in those towns for his coming. And I don't have a lot of time. Don't dilly dally along the way. Don't lose time making a lot of small talk. I may be coming to that town sooner than you think, which by the way is still true today. Jesus may be coming sooner than we think. And I'm not saying we can't make small talk with people. I'm just saying make more than small talk with people when you're talking to them. Here's another one. Jesus tells them that ministry will not always be comfortable. Man, you can... Phew. Verse 8 says, when you enter a town and are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Now, I tell you that because in the towns ahead of where the 72 are headed, there are a lot of Gentiles. And Gentiles ate differently than Jews. Jews had a very stringent guideline about what they could eat. Gentiles did not. And Jesus is saying, don't get sidetracked into fussiness about food and food laws. There's something bigger at work here. Well, how comfortable do you think that made the 72 <laughs> to think about that? You know, in the summer of 1982, I went to Baltimore, Maryland to do a summer internship at a church. I stayed with a different family every week that summer. The first family that I stayed with because they're on the East Coast and, and they know that's very different than the Midwest because in Midwest, you know, all we ever do is eat steak and potatoes and corn. Um, and so they thought they would do me a favor by introducing me to um, crab cakes. I don't like crab cakes. <laughs> I, I hate crab cakes. <laughs> but I didn't want to offend my host because I'd been raised, right? And maybe you've been raised this way. And if you haven't, let me raise you this way. Uh, that when you go to someone's house and they put something in front of you, what do you do? You eat it, right? You eat it and you smile and you tell them thank you. And if they ask if you want more, you go, oh, my goodness, no, I'm so full. Thank you so much. I appreciate that so much. So at any rate, they put this crab cake on my plate. I'd never had one before. I thought I would try it. My head almost collapsed on itself. Uh, it was so uncomfortable. And so I, but I smiled. And then I took everything on my plate and piled it on top of the crab cake so that it would cover the flavor of the crab cake. And I ate it and smiled and thanked them. And they just thought that was so cool. They called the family I was moving to. <laughs> and every week that same thing happened to me 
when I moved, I knew there was going to be at least one meal that was torture. Listen, I'm part of the team that's going to Haiti tomorrow morning. Do you know the thing that makes me most nervous about leaving the country? I don't want to eat monkey when I'm out of the country. You know what I'm talking about? And there's, listen, there's zero chance that's going to happen in Haiti. But I got to tell you, it makes me stay awake at night sometimes. You might be asked to try something new. You might be asked to do something old in a new way. And it can be uncomfortable. And because it can be uncomfortable, some people will look at Jesus and say, you know, I think what you're doing is really great, but it's, it's not for me. One more reason. Look at verse 16. He who listens to you listens to me, and he who rejects you rejects me, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. Ministry is not always going to be successful. And you might fail. And I don't know how you feel about that. I will tell you, I don't like it. We have tried things around here that have not succeeded. We have not succeeded at everything that we've attempted. And it makes me uncomfortable. And I know that sometimes you, you'll, try, you'll try more things than you'll succeed at, and I get that. But I don't like it. And some people fear failure so much, they just won't try anything. Dale Galloway said this, it should be on your notes. I'd rather attempt something great and fail than attempt nothing and succeed. And as much as I hate failure, I agree. I would rather attempt something great and fail at it in trying to reach people for the sake of Jesus. And all of these reasons, there are reasons people say no. And yet verse 2 tells us that when we say no, look at what, there's this harvest that is sitting in the field, waiting. And it won't be harvested because we've said no. Look at verses 17 and 18 for one more piece of this. The 72 come back and they are just beside themselves. And they said, even the demons submitted to us in your name. And he said, I saw Satan fall like lightning. Isn't that crazy? So look at this on your notes. By God's design, Satan's kingdom falls because I'm involved. When I'm involved, when you're involved, when we are all involved, Satan's kingdom falls. And I don't know if you can hear how excited they were because Jesus's next words, can you imagine him looking at you and saying this to you? Because of what you just did, I, I, saw, I saw Satan's kingdom fall because of you. What, how do you hear that coming from Jesus? One scholar wrote this, said to the casual observer, all that happened was a few mendicant preachers had spoken in a few small towns, healed a few sick people. But in that gospel triumph, Satan had suffered a terrible defeat. Can you imagine being one of the 72? Because of what you did, I saw Satan fall. How would you like to hear Jesus say that to you? And I know what you're thinking if you've been looking at the verses. Look at verse 19. Verse 19, they could do all kinds of cool stuff. They could trample on snakes and scorpions. Nothing happened. All a power, all overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing is gonna is nothing's gonna harm you. Evil spirits had to obey them. My kids don't even obey me. You know, evil spirits, I don't know what to do with that. But what they did was so great. It's no wonder Satan fell. You ever feel that way? Because sometimes I do. Billy Graham passed away this past week. When I think of someone who God uses in Satan's kingdom fall, of course. Of course, with Billy Graham, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people have come to know him, know God because of Billy. Think of Mother Teresa 
Anyone change the world by stooping to serve the poorest of the poor in Calcutta? Anybody change the world like her because attention was turned on her? I mean, but, but <laughs> is most of what's done in Jesus' name done on a national or grand stage with thousands of, in attendance? Or is most of what's done in Jesus' name around the world one-on-one in someone's living room or backyard or down in the city somewhere where there are no TV lights, there are no cameras? Listen, sometimes we see the importance of things differently than God does. And that which we consider insignificant takes a big swing at Satan, a big swing at his kingdom. Do you know what makes Satan fall? Lives being changed in Jesus' name. Hurts being healed in Jesus' name. People who are warmly greeted in Jesus' name. Children being loved in Jesus' name. Those who are lonely and forgotten being remembered and loved in Jesus' name. When we are involved by God's own design, it's his design. It's how he created it to happen. Satan's kingdom falls. So your next step in your walk with Jesus, if you are already involved in ministry, thank you. Here, away from here, please continue to do what God, allow God to work through you in that way. But if you are not, it is time to come out of the stands and get down on the field. It's time to leave your chair and get up and be part of the game. Just a moment ago, I mentioned why Jesus sent out the 72. Do you remember from the chapter before? Where's Jesus headed? He's on his way to what city? Jerusalem. What's about to happen in Jerusalem? Yeah. Easter is about to happen. The cross. He's headed to the cross. Isn't it interesting? To prepare the way for forgiveness of sins, Jesus sends people out into the lives of other people to help them get ready. We're about five or six weeks away from what? Easter. Easter is the story of what? The cross, the empty tomb. And again, Jesus sends us out to help people get ready because the harvest is plentiful. He just needs people to go out and to serve others. So as we come to our time of communion, there's just two questions I'd like for you to consider. One is, who is it that's in my life that caused Satan's kingdom to fall? Who was it that served me? Who was it that was involved? I'm not just talking about just talking. I mean, they did something that helped you hear Jesus' voice. Here's the second question. How am I serving God so that the same thing happens in someone else's life today? So in just a moment, the guys are getting ready. We're going to hold the emblems that remind us of Jesus' body and blood that was shed for our sins. And as we receive these emblems, make no mistake, it's about remembering what Jesus has done. It takes us backwards 2,000 years to the cross. But just as quickly, it brings us back to today so that we recommit ourselves. Not just to Jesus, although we do that, and we say, Jesus, I am all yours. I'm all yours. This is why we do this every week, by the way, together. We recommit ourselves together again, but not just to him, to the cause of his kingdom. And as we take these emblems that remind us of the horrible price that was paid for our freedom, as we take these emblems, we remind ourselves today to be part of his kingdom's cause. And we say, 
all in. Let's go to him. God, this moment when we come before you, it is, uh, it just takes us back. Jesus is headed to the cross in our verses, and we are headed to this time of communion that just reminds us of who you are in our lives, and we are so grateful for that. God, thank you for sending your son to pay a sin debt we could not. And thank you that, that this moment not only reminds us of that, but you invite us into the game. And God, may we be reminded. It's not, it's not just nice that you do that. You have made it so that your kingdom rises and falls on how your people respond. So God, may we respond well today. On a personal level, may we be all in. And on the corporate level, in serving, God, may we be all in. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.